Yeah, you know, so we started the the chamber, the CGLCC, uh, back in 2003. So you know, it's it's been something that's been around now for going almost 20 years, which is which is crazy. Makes me feel old. But you know that when we started, the mandate was really to to support LGBT plus entrepreneurs and helping them to to grow. You know, and that's kind of the you know, our, our mandate. But you know, I think if I if I look back in terms of what was it that got me into this, I you know I, I grew up uh, out west, uh, and you know, my father was an entrepreneur, and um, you know I saw that that the challenges and struggles that entrepreneurs, all entrepreneurs, go through, but also to see like how rewarding and successful it can be as well, right? This is Design Influence. I'm Isabel Swiderski. Canada is home to more than 100,000 LGBTQ2-owned businesses, generating over $22 billion in economic activity and employing 435,000 Canadians. The Canadian Gay and Lesbian Chamber of Commerce was founded to address the barriers LGBTQ2 entrepreneurs face in Canada and reimagine a more diverse and inclusive economy. Like many entrepreneur support organizations, the CGLCC has had to adapt, particularly post-pandemic, to changing needs and changing times. From its start as a safe space for like-minded business owners to gather, network, and support each other, it has now grown into a well-connected organization spearheading ecosystem-building initiatives with community partners, government, and corporates in Canada and beyond. I had the opportunity to chat with Daryl Sherman, the co-founder and CEO of the CGLCC, on the defining moments of the Chamber's evolution. In, in my university years, you know, coming out, I became very passionate about kind of involvement around kind of LGBT in general, LGBT travel, LGBT business. So, you know, really kind of marrying the, the two together, entrepreneurship and, and kind of my, my passion to try to uh, make things easier for the LGBT community. So uh, I think then, you know, fast forward then to 2003 and I had the opportunity, I went to an Ontario Chamber of Commerce um, event and just, you know, being kind of surrounded by other LGBT entrepreneurs and hearing some of, some of their, their struggles. Um, and then meeting Bruce and who, uh, was talking about what they were doing in the U S and uh, the new chamber that was a national chamber that was forming there with, with very much this, this mandate of, you know, how do we help to economically empower our community? Um, and it just like spoke to me. It was kind of like, okay, here are the, the two things that I'm like really passionate about. And here's an opportunity now to, to really try to, I guess, make a, a little bit of a difference and try to find ways that we can actively support uh, our community. So that was a long-winded answer to your question, but. Not at all. But I, I mean, I started my business when I was in 2006 and entrepreneurship was a much different creature at that time i think it was just defined in such a different way do you do you recall that like can you do you see well maybe my, my question should not be so leading do you see a difference between how entrepreneurship was was defined in in those days and 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 what it is now yeah um well i think you know, I think now, I think it's it's just, it's so much more accessible. I think everybody can be an entrepreneur now. Um, and, and it's, it's, you know, whatever you can convert, it's, I, I 
my sense is it, it's a lot easier now to convert kind of your passion and, and um, uh, your kind of your interest into some type of, of business and, and entrepreneurship. And, and I think what, what, at least what I've seen kind of over the last kind of two decades is that, you know, a lot of people just starting up, you know, small businesses on the side, you know, and, and kind of having, having that flexibility to, to, to grow them easily. Um, I say easily, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, while they're working, uh, and, and having kind of a second income, um, you know, I, I think perhaps, and I don't know if this is where you're thinking, but, um, I, I guess that the world was very different 20 years ago in terms of just like, you know, it wasn't so digital. It wasn't, you know, we didn't have, um, I was going to say we didn't have the internet, but I guess it's, we, we did, but it certainly wasn't where it is now. Right. Um, and so I think, you know, it was more like entrepreneurship was, was much more like kind of, um, you know, whether it was like brick and mortar or, you know, um, you know, in the consulting and very relationship, um, driven. And now it's kind of, it's, it's much more obviously digital, virtual. Um, and, and I think in some, for, in some sense, sometimes there's a little bit of a disconnect between your, your consumer and, um, and yourself or the entrepreneur, I think in some of those, uh, and for some businesses, certainly, but, but anyway, I think, yeah, I think it, it has shifted a lot over the last, um, the last 20 years. So one of the things you said was anybody can be an entrepreneur nowadays. And I think for myself in, in the, in the ecosystem building work that I do, I see that there's, though we keep hearing that there is a difference in access to opportunity. And, and I think certainly that's one of the things that we talk about around underrepresented, underestimated, or traditionally marginalized founders. Have you seen that change for LGBTQ entrepreneurs? Yeah, I, I think if, and, and it's been really interesting, this is something that we wanted to do, or, and we will be doing more kind of deeper dives in, into kind of backstory. But if you... And this is kind of a lot of anecdotal data is that when you look within the LGBT plus community, um, a lot of LGBT individuals, you know, if you're going back 20, 30 years, really turned to entrepreneurship because it was for, for many, it was a safer alternative. You know, you look back, um, uh, again, 30, 40, 50 years where you could be fired for being gay, um, and, or, uh, you know, the workplace, uh, safety was, was certainly not anywhere or inclusiveness was not where it is now. Um, a lot of the LGBT individuals felt more comfortable being kind of outside of that, uh, kind of the corporate or other, you know, employee role, um, and, and moving to kind of being in charge of their own, uh, their own business. So I think that, you know, the, the community entrepreneurship, there was a natural draw for, for, for them. Um, but, but certainly in that there are still added barriers and there's still challenges to, to, to what you're speaking to. And certainly, um, you know, from some of the research that we've done, we know that there is, um, certain challenges that mirror other underrepresented or, or marginalized community groups like access to capital, um, access to mentorship and so forth. Um, is still significantly higher for um, for LGBTQ plus businesses as other diverse businesses than kind of um, uh, 
non-diverse businesses. And so I, I think that those barriers and challenges are certainly there still. But I think what is what's happening and, and especially over the last even just the last five years, or maybe even just the last couple of years, is we've seen a lot more attention um, to these barriers, to these challenges, and there's been movement to try to help to overcome some of those. So certainly we've seen that in with for black entrepreneurs here in Canada, for women entrepreneurs. Um, and we've seen, you know, concerted efforts to make sure that LGBT entrepreneurs are being part of that. Um, there's still a long ways to go, I think, but we're, I think that, that shift is, is happening. Uh, but I'll just you, I'll give you one last example. You know, you know, we started the conversation about our, our youth program. And so when we launched it in 2017, we, um, we had, there's a black gay man in Toronto, young gay man. And, you know, he was talking about, we were interviewing him to be part of the program and, and he was talking, it, it, it broke my heart where he says, like, as a black gay man, I never thought I could own my own business these challenges and especially when you you um the intersectionality piece of it so not only being a gay man but also a black gay man the thought of him running his own business he he never thought was possible you know where we are now again we're we're helping to kind of and we're seeing that that shift um but we're we're not there fully yet do you think that um the rise of impact investing is starting to move things along a little bit faster. Bobby Reset from Virtual Gurus just secured, um, who identifies as Indigenous and, and LGBT, just raised $8.4 million from the Telesis uh, Pollinator Fund. Are you seeing that, that the rise of impact investing and, and it becoming more mainstream and certainly part of the conversation, um, coupled with, of course, the awakening that we've we've finally seen from Black Lives Matter movement and, and certainly the reconciliation movement in Canada. What are you seeing, uh, if anything, around impact investing and, and that intersectionality that you're talking about? Yeah, I think, you know, Bobby is a great example. I think, you know, she is somebody that has been very um, forthright in terms of how she identifies, you know, identifying as an Indigenous um, and, a, and a queer business leader. And and unfortunately, I think that there is very few that are kind of um, still there are very few businesses that are kind of outwardly kind of um, uh, feeling comfortable self-disclosing and, and self-identifying. Um, and I, I think that I, I would say my, my sense right now is that, you know, when you're talking about the impact investing, I think we've certainly seen more attention to it. Um, as it relates to to other marginalized community groups, so like Black and Indigenous, uh, I don't know, to be honest, if if we've seen as much attention as it relates to or as it includes LGBT entrepreneurs and and um, founders. Uh, I think my my hope is that you know as we continue to um, to have more of these conversations and we're seeing more about the um the value of impact investing and the, the 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 value that it's creating on our our communities and our economies that there will be a little bit more attention to it but i go back to one of the biggest the, 
the biggest challenges is is having LGBT entrepreneurs feeling comfortable self-identifying um, and being willing to kind of put it out there. We know that um, the, the stats, I think it's one in one in three have like purposely hidden the fact that they have LGBT ownership because of that fear of discrimination. Um, we know one in three have lost contracts because of LGBT ownership. So there's still that hesitation for them to self-identify. And you know, a big piece of what we do is, as you know, at, at the chamber is help to connect them with corporate, uh, with corporate Canada looking to diversify supply chain. So, but even so, there's many of our businesses are still worried about, do I want to be, you know, certified as an LGBT business and, and going in front of some of these large corporates? Um, they still feel, there's still a sense that that might be detrimental to their business. And so I think that, you know, so that's from a procurement side, but, you know, certainly from an investment, I think that that still holds true as well. That was going to be my next question around the certification, because I know there's been legislation in the U.S. for quite some time about diversifying a source of, for procurement, um, whereas Canada does not have the same kind of legislation. However, um, and you have a lot of partnerships with for women-owned businesses and Indigenous-owned businesses. Have you seen a quantifiable change uh, on both sides for folks who are opting to getting certified and also having that conversation with corporates who are interested in diversifying their procurement uh, processes. What have you seen in that respect? I think certainly here in Canada, and you mentioned, you know, Black Lives Matters and following the, the George Floyd murder, what we, we've seen here is that corporate Canada really putting greater awareness and attention and, and focus around the importance of diversity, equity, and inclusion broadly. Um, and so they're, they've been very focused around, and I say, again, I'm using general term or general uh, generalities here, but, you know, corporate Canada is realizing, okay, we need to be doing more uh, around our DEI practices. And part of that then is around our procurement efforts. So we've seen um, within the chamber, as well as our colleagues that you know certify Indigenous-owned businesses or, or minority-owned businesses, significant growth in corporations actively building out supplier diversity programs. Um, that are there, they've made that decision now that as part of their broader DEI strategy, that you know they want to make sure that. Um, and not just Black-owned businesses, but all diverse businesses are part of their procurement efforts. So, you know, to your point, I mean, this is, you know, 40 years after the state. So we're, we're, we still have a little bit of catching up to do. But so that's on the corporate side. And then on, on the government side, I think we're seeing very similar, although uh, we, we don't have, well, there is now a supply diversity policy at the federal government level. Um, we haven't seen that there's no program kind of behind it yet. They're still building that out. Um, but again, it's we're, we're seeing that the governments now are starting to realize the importance of this and the necessity of doing that. So, you know, I think certainly the movement on the on the corporate and government side is has been positive. Where we still continue to to struggle, though, is is on the supplier or the small business entrepreneur side is how do we continue to. I guess educate them and and um, support them in terms of realizing that you know it is it's okay for you to self-identify. Um, you know, it, you, 
but they need to feel comfortable self-identifying that there's value for them to go through this process. Do you think there's also a size issue? Because I, I remember chatting with you before about the certification program and in the work that I'm doing elsewhere in emerging entrepreneurial ecosystems, the understanding that you can be the supplier of a supplier that is a supplier to a large corporate feels like often a step that people uh, miss. Um, is that accurate? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think that goes back to, you know, as because we're a little delayed in compared to the U.S., um, so we have here in Canada, a large of our large majority of our our larger corporations are now implementing these programs, as we've talked about. But, um, you know, they, they don't necessarily have kind of that their tier two program. So in other words, requiring their large suppliers to also have programs or to have um, an active supplier diversity program. So we're, we're starting to see that, you know, we, uh, that the financial institutions here in, in Canada have been kind of leading that. Um, and so I think as we, as we start to see more tier one suppliers having similar programs in place um, and thereby making it more accessible, I think, you know, kind of the, 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 the point here is around the accessibility for some smaller businesses to, to be able to access. So, you know, having that ability to, to actively or directly sell to a tier one um, and even a, a tier two then certainly will, will help uh, alleviate some of those challenges that smaller businesses uh, are currently facing. And because and, you're right, I think we know that generally diverse businesses tend to be smaller um, certainly within the LGBT plus business community, we know that LGBT owned businesses are smaller, uh, you know, under 10 employees. And, and so that does make it more difficult for them to, to service directly to those large corporates. So the, the, the tier one kind of programs will be really key for, for them to kind of uh, directly access. You recently partnered with Carleton University in uh, Ottawa and I'm thinking back of when the LGBT chambers started in Canada and that need that was there at that moment, certainly here to have a separate chamber. My question to you about the partnership with, in this instance, this university, what is your sense of still there being a need for us to create initiatives, programs that are separate and and I'm not saying that we should erase the difference but but how much do you see there being a need to put to the fore that 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 kind of support needs to be specific to LGBT owned businesses or LGBT identifying youth yeah so I'll 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 say something and then you can tell me if I'm answering it or not but I I think in general again I there's well, speaking specifically, first of all, to the, the Carlton the partnership, you know, I think one of the key things that if we want to really change and create opportunities for LGBT entrepreneurs, we need to fully understand kind of the 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 full ecosystem, the landscape, the challenges, the issues. Um, you know, so we we have done that. We've done some, you know, two national studies, as as you know. Um, but there's still a lot of a lot of information that we don't know, and and data is so important. And so being able to partner with with Carlton um, is 
that will help in in such an important way in helping to provide access to hopefully um, a lot more data and an understanding and knowledge of the the larger ecosystem. So the partnership with 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 Carlton is actually you know it's you know they're very much supporting um, our youth program and um, but I I really see that the opportunity being that access to to research. Um, so I think that is that's an important piece and. And the more then that we have that understanding of these these challenges and, and the ecosystem, uh, I, I think realistically the only way we're going to be able to help to overcome some of them are through uh, partnerships. And so whether it's partnerships like um, inst- uh, educational institutions, academia, or governments or corporations, you know, having having that true understanding, uh, and then working with those partners to to um, be able to provide programming, provide um, support mechanisms for our businesses to help overcome those those challenges. So that's so that's my sense. I, I think I think probably twenty years ago I would have said, yeah, you know, I my goal would be that there would be no chamber and that there wouldn't be an, a, a need for it. I, I think now there's always going to be a need for it. You know, I think our our role will shift and it will change and how we play will, will be different. Um, but there's still something, there's an important um, value that we bring. And I think it's that, that building that uh, building a network, building a community. Um, there's something about having shared experiences that entrepreneurs um, uh, still, that still brings value to, to entrepreneurs. You know, we, we strongly encourage, we would never say that we're replacing the Toronto Board of Trade or, you know, your local chamber of commerce. Like, I think it's equally important to be part of that. But having a, a network of, of individuals that have those shared experiences um, that can just provide greater support um, and, and, and access and resources, I think is, is always valuable. No, absolutely. And, and uh, interestingly enough, I was doing some research um, around motivations, you know, because we're always trying to figure out how do we breed more unicorns. But really, to your point, you know, a lot of businesses are actually employ less than 10 people. And when you aggregate those businesses, they have a huge impact on, on local and national economies. Um, and and one of the more sort of personal motivators or let's just say supporting forces is actually being seen and and being supported in your own local community because as entrepreneurs we start our businesses where we live or where we work and so being able to see ourselves as entrepreneurs has a big impact on whether or not we decide to become an entrepreneur and and then access the self-efficacy to then make it a reality so I, I do absolutely understand the importance of that and and certainly uh, I, I know you've been in conversations with government around uh policy and support for for some time where do you see the ecosystem on the national level in Canada uh, the startup or the entrepreneurial ecosystem in terms of your place in it are you feeling like you're getting access to the same kinds of networks the same kinds of resources from an ecosystem building perspective than other players do um, that's a really good question. I, I would say Is it a that fraud question. <laughs> I, I think we're we're certainly getting there. I think we are. Um, even just over the last couple of years, you know, we now are we're in. You know, this sounds cliche, but you know, we're we're invited to sit at the table um, 
for for many things you know so whether it's you know whether it's government whether it's um uh, you know uh other organizations you know just inviting us now for for insights and you know to to make sure that the lgbt entrepreneur voice is being heard at the table and i think that that's really that is critical right you know we we can't drive change if if our voices aren't being heard um so i'd say certainly over the last you know even 3 two years maybe you know we've seen some dramatic change but there's still there's still a ways to go and you know there's you know there's still a disconnect so using the federal government as an example there's there's a disconnect still um in in different programs that you know lgbt is is included here but it's excluded in these other initiatives that they're doing to support um startups and and it's and it's frustrating to see that um and in this one in particular, you know, it's it's a new initiative that there's, you know, implementing to help. It, the focus is very much around helping um, small businesses um, make things easier to do uh, to do business with with the federal government. Um, and they it's focused on diverse owned businesses, but diverse in this definition does not include LGBT. So they've excluded LGBT from this. So so there's still work to be done. There's certainly again some big some some momentum that has happened over the years but it's it's not there yet um and then i think in the broader ecosystem we probably didn't do enough at the start to really engage the broader ecosystem i think we probably unfortunately were too we we felt like we were um I shouldn't say we felt like we probably isolated ourselves off too much at, at early on. And what we've done, we've made a concerted effort over the last while to, to really engage with the broader ecosystem. So, you know, other, other incubator um, organizations, um, you know, uh, startup organizations, um, we've really tried to, to partner and align. So, you know, using, you know, Startup Canada or Futurepreneur, you know, we now have relationships with them, with Tech Nation, you know, you know, starting to build those relationships. And, and I would say that it wasn't that we were being excluded. It was that we weren't kind of trying to be included. And so now we've, we've made that, in, uh, you know, concerted effort to say, hey, we want to be part of this ecosystem. We deserve to be part of this ecosystem. And I'd say that we, on, on that front, we've been welcomed. So given, given where you started after your university years and you saw a need for this organization, what, what gives you hope in the momentum that you have in this moment in time? And congratulations, by the way, because really I, I, uh, I, I'm very impressed with all the, the developments and how much the organization has grown both in activities and in impact. So congratulations for that. But, but what, what gives you hope or what gives you faith to keep going? One of the, the the great initiatives that we're doing, and we we built out a global program a few years ago. And one of the things that we're doing right now is is working in India and Thailand to to help LGBT entrepreneurs there um, start to build that ecosystem. Kind of what we did 20 years ago, really trying to help to build that ecosystem, find ways that we can help to economically empower them. There's, I, I said that there's still a lot of work to be done here in Canada, but when we look globally, there's an awful lot of work that needs to be done in certain regions. And so I think that if we can help support that, you know, I, that is my, my goal. You know, we have, and I think you actually helped to, to craft this, you know, to, to create a truly, you know, in, inclusive Canadian economy. But 
um, to drive social change through the power of economics. I think that might have been one of your um, your lines that you helped to to come up with, and and I, I still hold true to that. Like I think that is for me an important um, an important mission, and you know we're driving that social change here in Canada, but you know, there's so much more that we can do globally. And so some of this work that we're doing, like in India and Thailand, is helping to make that different. Um, I was on a call last week with our partners in um, in the Euro- with the European LGBT Chamber of Commerce and just sharing best practices to see how they can continue to support uh, LGBT entrepreneurs across Europe and especially in Eastern Europe. So, you know, I think that is giving me hope to see that this momentum, this um, the shift is happening beyond just the Canadian or the North American borders that we're starting to see some. And, and I think maybe to take it even, you know, just now kind of closer, you know, we, we've we're we're in a growth stage right now, and we've just we just hired three new team members. I would say 95% of the people that we interviewed, and we interviewed some amazing candidates. And one of the questions I always ask is, so like, why would you, why, why are you interested in working with us? And, you know, 95% of them said, like, we're, we want to work with an organization that has shared values that, you know, that, um, that we believe in, that we see is making a difference. And, you know, to me, I think that that speaks volumes to, you know, people are, are realizing that this is important work, this is making a difference, and they're aligning with that. So I think it goes back to this this broader shift around financial compensation driven to to aligning with your your beliefs. Daryl Sherman is co-founder and CEO of the Canadian Gay and Lesbian Chamber of Commerce. He is based in Toronto, Canada. Design Influence is brought to you by the Protagonist Network. The next cohort for female and non-binary founders is opening November 15th. For more information, go to protagonistnetwork.com. This is Design Influence. I'm Isabel Swiderski.